Dear hiring manager, the change I would like to see is having better ways of assessing an individual's capability. Shaw is a second generation South Asian software developer. He shares his experience of growing up in a low income family and how living in that environment created barriers for his education and caused him to view himself, his family, and his culture in a negative light. He talks about his desire to distance himself from his family when he was in high school, needing to repeat grade 12, being envious of kids who got to participate in sports that his parents could never put him through, and how a life-turning event of his father being arrested made him finally reevaluate his future. Shaw and his four siblings grew up with a household income of $30,000. And today, after many bumps and bruises, he works as a software engineer earning $100,000. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Great. Uh, hello. Thank you so much for joining us today. I am excited to hear a little bit more about your background. Why don't we get started with just an introduction? Maybe tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. Um, my name is Shah Syed. I'm uh, currently a software developer at Priceline. Um, I've been working in the software industry for about four years now. How did you get into software development? I had a, I had a knack for tinkering with stuff. Um, and I guess I got it fueled by like my passion for like video games and just puzzles. Uh, Legend of Zelda was like a huge inspiration for me growing up, just watching my older brother and sister play it. Um, eventually around grade six, uh, I got into tinkering with uh, just parts from school. Like they would give out um, really old like Windows 3.1 machines that they had in cages. So I'd bring them home and start learning how to like break them up and yeah that's kind of how it led me to this path of uh getting into computer science and did you study computer science in after high school or what was your educational experience like um ryerson university is where i did my degree uh, uh bachelor's of science in computer science Tell me a little bit more about um, kind of your parents' influence on your educational choice. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, just to give a bit of background, um, I'm a second generation South Asian. I was born in Canada. Um, I didn't live in Toronto my entire life. Um, and my parents are from India. So um, my mom and dad were married and happily married. Well, I mean, there's always up and downs, I guess. <laughs> 30, 30 years strong. Is, okay, pretty good. Yeah, my mom uh, actually doesn't have um, more formal education past grade 10. And my dad um, did have his occupational therapy done in uh, India and he was able to get his uh, education here to have his certification and degree uh, qualified for work here. But uh, unfortunately, uh, things just didn't go the way that they were planned. And so um, my dad, most of his life before retirement, worked as a security guard. And that's, he worked as a security guard in Toronto. That's correct, yes. And so growing up with parents that you know, don't have a software background or, you know, in your mom's case, didn't have post-secondary education, did that impact the reason why you decided to get into this field or the reason why you decided to pursue post-secondary education at all? Yeah, um, uh, it definitely did. Um, there's a lot of influences as well in terms of my older sister. Um, because 
I didn't live in Toronto my entire life, but when we moved back here, it was because my older sister was uh, doing her uh, pre-med stuff at University of Toronto. Um, my parents, as being as they're South Asian, um, there's always this, I guess, expectation to have mm. your kids become either a doctor or a lawyer, right? <laughs> and so, um, yeah, there's always a push towards those things. And yeah, I think like the the path of least resistance for me has been this field. And I'm really grateful for that as well. Tell me how your parents felt about this educational choice of yours. There was definitely a lot of pushback. And I would say it it, it, it had to do with a lot with a lot of things. So one thing um as as I guess like would be a barrier as well that I faced was just being uh from a low income background. Um given that my father was a security guard and my mother did work, but stopped mm -hmm. so that she could take care of their kids. It, it, it comes with a, a lot of like barriers that kind of prevent someone from like understanding or thinking beyond that cog that they're mm -hmm. in, I guess, like that mm -hmm. little like world. Right. So um, w w when someone decides to take a career path, like uh, computer science, which uh, to my parents was relatively unknown there, there was definitely mm. a lot of pushback and there there was no real way to like understand what that was even back then mm -hmm. or like what the paths that it could lead to and so I, like even today i don't even think my my dad and mom know exactly what i do <laughs> i have a feeling they think like i get grab like a wrench and go around <laughs> at people's like <laughs> computers and like just bang so together, right funny. so but um i'm starting to have those conversations with them and they're starting mm. to get that um this was actually one of the best decisions that I could have made mm -hmm. for my family. So. so your dad worked as a security guard and your mom was a full-time mother, I guess, right? Like, you, I yes. guess she was a stay-at-home mom. And so you lived on the income of a single parent as a security guard. That's right. So what was life like that? My parents uh, were able to secure a home here in Toronto before the housing crash. So... Mm -hmm. um, before 2008 and we're really lucky because of that and so uh we we're able to live in a, a pretty decent home it was really good because it helped my family stay together for so long mm. and so um some of the things that i guess I, I experienced were just typical things that um i guess someone from low income would experience education was obviously a factor so uh there are times where um if I tried to get into a high school or a middle school that was uh, outside of my area, it would be very difficult. And I have four other siblings, right? So, oh, wow. Yeah. So on top of that, my family is housing all these people on like a $30,000 salary. So that is insane. How does that even, how's that even feasible? Uh we eat lots of rice. <laughs> like, it's, um, I learned a lot of good habits in terms of like saving money and understanding the value of that, which some of those habits aren't so good either. Like some of those habits I'm like trying to get rid of as I'm in, as I've progressed in my career and stuff like that. But um, like, what's an example? It's hard for me to like decide whether I want to buy something that's like more than a hundred dollars. Like mm. it takes me a long time to think about it because I'm just so used to like not having that kind of money, I guess. Yeah. So that's definitely one thing. Um, another thing is just like back then, because uh, we knew the value of money and stuff like that. Um, we were kind of always uh, 
like when I say we, I mean my myself and my other siblings, uh, just passionate about like helping our mm. family. And so I guess that mentality still exists as well. Did you and your siblings need to work while you were in, in high school to help support the family? Oh yeah, definitely. Early on in high school, uh, my older brother and sister uh, worked in grocery stores. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Joe's No Frills. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's luckily how I got uh, my job there as well. We definitely had to work there and help out in terms of like paying bills and whatnot. How does it feel to be in high school working during your summers and then having to give up a lot of your income to your parents? I'll be honest, at first I didn't do that at all. And as I grew up in high school, uh, I kind of stopped like, you know, seeing my home as like a safe place because there are so many rules and boundaries and uh, already like my parents were so apprehensive of my career choice or like Mm -hmm. my passion around computer science or programming. And so um, I'd uh, basically just not show up at times at home like I wouldn't even bother coming and not and I'd use working at 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 no frills as an excuse Mm. and so um that when I first worked those summers and like worked I I I just blew that money on like playing video games at Mm. cyber cafes and like buying food and like helping out like my friends because they wanted food and stuff like that so that's what I mostly did with that money Um, So when did this shift happen? Like at what point did you realize the importance of saving and the importance of also contributing to your family? Uh, I think it started to tick around grade 11 Mm -hmm. when a significant event happened in my family. Uh, Without going into too much details, um, my dad got arrested. Okay. And so... um, after that, I realized, okay, we, we don't have any money right now. So mm. um, I started thinking, we really don't have a way to supplement this income. And so what should we do, right? Mm. Um, and at that point, I think I was seriously considering like not even pursuing uh, university and whatnot. Mm. I was like, what's, what's the point? I thought that I could just work at no frills for like a good chunk of time. And then just on the side, like just get really into computer science. Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of like mm-hmm. where I decided that, okay, it might be important to think about uh, the value of money now. Mm-hmm. And, but it didn't happen right away. Um, it took me a long time from that point where I was like in between thinking about working and going to school to like grade 13, where I had to actually repeat uh, grade 12 to actually really think about, okay, I have to make a choice here if I seriously care about like getting my family out of poverty or like getting myself out of the situation, what can I do? I have so many follow-up questions. Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, Tell me about this grade 13. Well, what happened? Okay. Um, so I remember this vividly. Uh, my older sister and my mom actually came with me to the guidance counselor after they looked at my report card and they were like, um, what are what are his options and so um yeah they sat down seriously and we discussed like whether or not the path for like getting into university is even worth it right now whether or not i should do uh something else completely and if i had to and if i did take uh another year in high school then um 
uh, I would have to get all my prerequisites for the program that I wanted, like extra, like really good, like do really well. By repeating a grade or doing a bunch of different of, of repeat classes, did that limit the amount of opportunities you got in college? Oh yeah, uh, definitely. I kind of had to gamble here. Like this was in the beginning of the year and I didn't know what my grades could end up being. So I had to buckle down and like decide, uh, I'm so going to, oh, what, sorry, what, what were your grades before you decided to redo some of the courses? <laughs> I remember some of my, uh, some of my, oh man, uh, I, world issues. I remember vividly. That was a 34. And I remember the <laughs> teacher, uh, Mr. Lee bless his heart. Like that was the first time I like I I felt really bad. A teacher was like upset. They're like, you don't you didn't try at all. Like, why? And so um, yeah, that that was that sucked. I think my average would be around like fifty or sixty. So why did you not put effort? Did you was it difficult? Was it was it because of things that were going on at home? What was what was going on? Yeah, um, it would definitely be a mix of a lot of things. Uh, definitely all the things that I talked about uh, in terms of like my dad getting arrested and uh, uh, no one at home uh, in terms of like my mom uh, always like helping take, to take care of uh, the siblings. And my older sister actually had a kid around this time as well. So um, that, that was happening basically. Um, like I felt like I was alone. Mm. And so like I would always be at a friend's house like – just hanging out, either making music, which is another side passion of mine, or like playing video games at a cyber cafe, mm. or just not even doing anything. Like, so I guess like those things what I would attribute to like uh, my grades. Sounds like you were actively trying to distance yourself from your family. Is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. I guess what I want to know is, is it that you... What, what did you think you were going to get out of distancing your family with your family? Well, there's always like this pressure of um, these expectations that you have um, as a South Asian male, I guess. Mm -hmm. And um, there's always that like pull, I guess, towards like the culture and like religion, mm -hmm. stuff like that. And growing up, uh, I guess another thing that I uh, kind of want to talk about is like just all, all the issues that I've, that I've faced in terms of uh, barriers and whatnot uh, also made me think uh, about, like, my own race and, like, my own culture uh, yeah. in a negative light. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I didn't know it then. Like, reflecting back on it now, I'm just like, wow, I can't believe this, this was me. But um, I guess, like, all those things, like being low income, uh, the stuff that happened with my dad, like, just... Um, uh, not being at home and distancing myself. I guess that was my eagerness to be less uh, South Asian or less Indian. Interesting. I and mean, it, you, you sort of mentioned this earlier in, in your one of your answers that you had these rules and this is the reason why you were trying to avoid going home. What were some of these rules or what were some of these expectations that were on you? Yeah, it would just be to like uh, practice your religion daily, um, practice everything um, make sure you're fasting, make sure you're praying and stuff like that. Um, but then there's, there would also be like, um, just like how you should behave, uh, respecting your elders and whatnot. And like some, sometimes like I just wanted to rebel, like 
-hmm. it felt like no one believed in me or like my passions or like my interests so I guess I started attributing all that to Mm. either a consequence of assimilation or like just just general problematic beliefs that uh, happen when you're uh, Mm a second generation low income and you see like all these people with their nice families on TV and whatnot and so it just made me start hating myself and so I guess that's another thing that caused that distancing. I kind of want to ask you a little bit more about how you feel like your low income status and upbringing created barriers for you in your education or in your pursuit of getting employment? Um, I think not having the, um, not, not having the worry about money lets you do a lot of things. Mm -hmm. It's almost like freedom in a way, Mm -hmm. really. When you don't have to worry about money, then you can understand and think about a lot of things in the future Mm -hmm. because when you're sitting there and worrying about what's going to be on your plate and if it's going to be plain white rice again or whether or not you're going to even have food um, for lunch or or like whether or not you're going to be able to uh, wear new clothes in like two years because you're still wearing the same clothes from three years ago. Mm-hmm. Like those kind of worries kind of make you uh, not think about anything else um, beyond that. I guess, microcosm of like problems that are associated with uh, being in a low income uh, family. Did you know that you were in a low income family? Like at what point were you like, oh yeah, most people aren't, don't like worry about if there's going to be food for lunch? Great question. Uh, I have a friend that I've known for uh, about 18 plus years. I've known him since grade four, Um, grade 10. Um, we actually started like bonding and stuff like that. And um, one thing I quickly realized um, was there, he was definitely way more wealth than mm-hmm. I was. And I would say he's definitely more privileged than I was in the sense that um, both of his parents were working. At the time, uh, his older sister uh, was already in university. Uh, they went on trips to uh, their home country every two years. Mm. And so I quickly realized like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not where, uh, I, I don't even know how I'm talking to this guy. Like mm-hmm. I'm not, I'm not anywhere near his life financial. And I didn't understand why we're friends to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, someone else like mentioned that, uh, they're going to play sports. Like they're going to play hockey, which was like a huge passion of mine growing up, but I couldn't do it because I didn't, my parents couldn't afford the equipment or, mm-hmm. um, uh they had to stop hanging out with their family because they were going to go for dinner and like all sit dinner all sit for dinner together meanwhile like my food would just be ready at five o'clock and just whenever i wanted i could just Mm -hmm. pick it up right so like these sort of things i guess were kind of uh indicators that um uh where i was at in in terms of uh social status like very early on okay so if we were to fast forward a little bit Can you talk to me a little bit more about getting into the workforce and what your first job was like? Uh, My first job was at Nielsen. It's a market research company. I had a lot of complaints about traveling the distance from downtown. I was still living with my parents at the time at that home um, to Markham. It was a two-hour commute. And I realized that I was losing out time uh, just one way 
and four hours out of my day, really. So I had to, I had to figure out something. And luckily, um, a great opportunity came before me, um, which was TD Bank. Um, I got a referral from my friend for an uh, interview. And apparently, I, I was like very low on that list because um, they were looking for new grads for this program. And I was already like, I don't know, five months out mm. of school. So um, they took a gamble on me and it ended up working out great. And then after TD, you moved to Priceline. Yes. Got it. Um, so you've had a, quite a few work experiences now and quite a few, obviously, experiences with interviewing. What, what would you say has been the biggest barrier for you to getting into the tech industry? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, uh, we need a better way to assess uh, candidacies for uh, a position. I'll, I'll be honest. Um, I, like I, I mentioned all the struggles that I had with getting my first job. I, I straight up cheated to get my, to get my job. And uh, it, 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 this is probably going to ruin my academic career <laughs> if I decided to like, go that route. But like, I, uh, there, was, there was no way I was going to pass this. It was a, it was a C++ uh, written test. Okay. And they luckily put me in a room with like no cameras. So <laughs> I just straight out pulled out my phone and then just did whatever I can. It's funny because I never used C++ for that position at all. That's funny. That's, so, but how often does that happen when what you're tested on in the interview is nothing what you do on the actual job? Oh, all the time. All the time. <laughs> when are you going to ever use that graphing, uh, like graph theory algorithm for your uh, web app or like, I don't know, the divide and conquer algorithm for like your front page layout? Like, come on, man. Yeah. It's, it sucks. It sucks. It sucks that we're not thinking about um, assessing a candidate's ability to problem solve or how they work on a team. Yeah. And yeah, like I don't, I don't, I don't know how you would solve that. I know there's a couple of things that Hatchways is doing in particular, which I think is awesome. Thank you for the plug-in. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's just like, it, there needs to be a paradigm shift for real. Mm -hmm. So what part of the interview process frustrates you the most? I'd say uh, assessing someone's technical abilities based mm -hmm. off of the uh, a data structures and algorithms test okay. is completely ridiculous. Um, I don't think rote memorizing something for, I don't know, a month straight and yeah. then just forgetting it after is going to benefit anyone. Mm -hmm. Nor do I think um, most of those things even stick in terms of uh, your career as a software engineer. What are some better ways that you think people should do to rethink the technical assessing of candidates honestly i have some radical ideas so i don't know if this no, is love like... to hear we'd love <laughs> to hear uh so i what do you what do you think about like adding an unrelated activity completely to programming to assess uh an individual's ability to work in a team like a role-playing game mm. or, or or even a video game like a cooperative video game um because like I'm a firm believer that uh, games reflect behavior. Mm -hmm. And so what I've noticed is that 90% of the time, if you're toxic in a cooperative game, you're probably toxic <laughs> in real life. Now looking back, like if you were, if you were to give advice to somebody who is in a similar situation as you and you could share some resources that would be helpful to them, are, do you have any that you can share? 
Yes, uh, I highly recommend um, the CS career questions, the subreddit on uh, Reddit. Um, that actually enlightened me to so many things in terms of the process of interviewing, uh, how to find an internship, um, uh, how to prepare for like high school even now, like some of the posts that I'm seeing. So I think that's a really great resource. And um, I think that's one thing that you could do. Another thing is like, um, depending on where you wanna be um, after high school, um, there are a lot of paths that you can take, especially if you have a passion for programming. Um, I would say like Twitter is like a really good resource. Like it just follows some people that are um, in the startup space or like uh, engineers um, that are very vocal on Twitter um, about computer science or like even academic workers, I think is a good spot. Um, if you're in a career path where uh, your parents don't understand or no one around you understands it, I, I think going to a guidance counselor is like a great thing because you can talk about what your passions are and you can get ideas in terms of where that, that could lead you as a possible career choice. And maybe they can also give you ideas and helpful advice and how you can communicate with your parents about these things too. Um, so that's some of the things I can remember. Um, yeah. Thanks. What about for, okay. If you were to speak to, all the hiring managers out there in terms of helping them better empathize for people who have these sorts of barriers. What are some things you would tell them that you hope they would take, listen to? It's really hard to uh, judge a book by its cover, I guess. Mm -hmm. So, so I would say like just in general to be more kind during interviews and be more uh, empathetic in general. Yeah. Um, because if, if you can identify some of the traits of someone that's capable of problem solving, being good in a team, and yeah, maybe their technical skills aren't up there, but you think that they could have the potential or they can demonstrate that in the interview by questions you ask or mm -hmm. uh, capability assessment that you could have, um, I think that would go a long way because you'd find uh, a lot of people who are motivated by getting out of these kind of low income situations or barriers that prevent them from thinking about the future. What is your relationship like with your parents now? And what is your relationship with your culture and your religion? Oh, it's so much better. Um, I, I've promised my mom that at some point I would start looking into religion more seriously. Mm -hmm. um, but for now it's like uh, on, it's on, the, it's on the priority queue. Like it's, it's moving on its way up. Mm -hmm. But uh, to answer your question, uh, definitely my relationship with my parents and my, all my family members have gotten so much better. Um, I'm really happy for the last four years um, being in this field because I've gotten to meet so many people that have actually like corrected that way of thinking that I've had that's been so ingrained in me for so long. So um, yeah, things have been so much better. And I want to actually attribute that to... Um, honestly just not being uh low income anymore i think that that actually uh that that's allowed me to reflect so much on my past where i was at the the the, the incorrect thinking especially when it came to that um the, the identity crisis i had with being uh south asian right can you tell me more about 
the moment or the time in which you started to feel like, oh, I'm coming out of this low income status? Right after I paid off OSAP. (laughs) (laughs) That's when I was like, okay, I think I made it. (laughs) (laughs) What what point was that in your career? Uh, It was around uh, October or September 2018. I remember that last uh, check. And I think I have that email still that says, congratulations. So um, that was a huge moment. And I was working at TD for that. So I always appreciate um, everyone at TD, my hiring managers there. (laughs) for the experience so you said that your family grew up with an income of a household income of thirty thousand dollars um you've been in the job now for four years what is the ballpark range of what a software developer makes in their fourth year Uh, like i'll be very open uh like i make a hundred thousand dollars right now so so you make a hundred thousand dollars is that just insane for your family to know that Oh, they're about to find out. <laughs> but but yeah, I think once they do, they'll realize that, yeah. Um, that it was insane. the right path for you. Yeah, hopefully. Mom, dad. I'm joking, I'm joking. I love you guys. So before we get into rapid fire questions, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, I'd like to plug my website, uh, com. Um, I'm going to start to post uh, more information and be more vocal, I guess. Uh, and I'm also on Twitter at, at uh, Um I'm always posting information about the tech industry and I'm always out for uh, researching ethics and AI, which is a current passion of mine. Um, and of course, the broken hiring process. I just, uh, if you're interested in this stuff and everything that we've talked about, uh, definitely check me out on those places. Wonderful. I'll put uh, those links in the show notes. Um, so let's just jump into quick rapid fire. So I have a few questions, just one or two word answers. First one is one word to describe yourself. Uh, lazy. Um, alternative career path you would take if you couldn't be a software developer. <laughs> I'm doctor. <laughs> <laughs> Um, favorite book or podcast? Uh, the Barbell Medicine Podcast. Uh, shout out to them. Uh, book, uh, Catcher in the Rye. Cool. Something on your bucket list? Either be pursuing my PhD or MBA. That's my immediate goal, at least. Favorite app? Uh, Twitter. And lastly, something you do for self-care? Uh, get up at 5 a.m. every day and look at the sun rise. I think that thing, just having the privilege of doing that is amazing. And I love that I'm able to do that. That's amazing. I love that. That really wraps up our conversation. Thank you so much for being so transparent and with sharing your personal experiences. Uh, I really appreciated that. And yeah, excited to see where your crew takes you. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. And thank you for having me on the podcast. And I really hope that this helps even at least one person. Amazing. Shaw shares how difficult it was to focus on the future when the worries of the present, food insecurity, not being able to afford new clothes, working as a high school student to help his family pay bills were so prevalent. Only once he was earning a decent income and had paid off his student bills could he relax. He now has a better relationship with his parents 
and with his culture now that the financial stress is gone and he is able to focus on and plan for the future. Shaw asks that job interviews focus more on testing for problem solving and ability to work with a team over arbitrary technical questions and skills that are never even used in the workplace. He suggests testing through cooperative video games as they give a better sense for problem solving and how people behave in a group. Shaw asks for more empathy during interviews. Those from low income backgrounds have the drive to want to get out of their situation. And even if their technical ability is lacking, their ability to problem solve and work with others is more important. Thank you for listening to this episode. Hatchways is a platform that discovers talented software engineers that often fall through the cracks of traditional hiring processes. This podcast is to share their stories. Some have managed to navigate through the broken system and land employment, while others are still unemployed, some for a few months, some for a few years. We hope their experiences and ideas will educate you and propel the tech industry toward an employment system that is more aware, empathetic, and inclusive. If you want to learn more about Hatchways, visit hatchways.io. And if you would like to be a part of the podcast, or if you have questions you'd like to ask future job seekers on the podcast, email us at hello at hatchways.io.